Hi, this is Matt from Work in Fintech, and I'm joined by Helen Lip, who's just finished a master's at Bath University. And today we're delighted to interview Jess Holgrave from Checkout.com. Hi, Jess. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Helen. Great to meet you and thanks for having me. Hi, Jess. It's really great to have you here. You have a very fascinating background. Can you talk us a bit through your journey and where you are now and also what attracted you to work in fintech? Sure. So I started life after university in investment banking. My first degree was in economics. And in many ways, I kind of did it because that was what a lot of my peers were doing. And I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do next. I was the first person in my family to go to university. And so there was just kind of a lot of unknown for me. And so as all my friends in also doing economics were off to the city, I figured that that was probably a good place to start. In hindsight, it was actually a great place to start because I learned a huge amount got to work with some amazing companies and developed quite a kind of core skill set around finance and kind of using Excel and things like that. So it was a great place to spend the first sort of few years of my career. After that, I left and joined a Canadian pension fund called OP Trust, where I was part of their private markets group. That meant that we were investing money into private markets investments, like private equity funds, venture capital funds, and directly into companies themselves as well to try and make a return. And that was what sort of funds the pension fund. Again, I loved it so much because I learned a huge amount. And also because I got to interact with a whole range of different people and learn about a ton of different industries and sectors at the same time. And I think that ability to get up to speed on something quickly has been great then for my career after that. I always wanted to actually though be in a company and be building something. And so that's why I ended up leaving finance and doing another master's degree and then ultimately starting my own business. The recurring theme here will be that I'm sort of out of my comfort zone and having to learn lots of things quite quickly. And so starting my own startup, which we were using NFTs, which now everyone knows about, but back in 2017, nobody had really heard of. We were using them to track the provenance of artworks on the blockchain. And that was a really cool experience. It was right in the early days of crypto and NFTs. And again, just the range of people that we were working with was amazing. And then finally, that brings me to checkout.com, which is where I work today. And um, I joined them about 18 months ago. My role is chief of staff, which means different things in different businesses. But at checkout means that I work really side by side with our founder and the rest of our executive team on making sure that we're all heading in the right direction. We've grown from about 480. 80 people to nearly 1500 just in the time that I've been there and so that rapid rapid growth just means that we've got so much going on and so I spend my days just trying to keep us all swimming in the same direction and checkout.com is a fintech we're a b2b fintech we have privilege of working with some amazing companies a lot of other fintechs and then global e-commerce companies and we manage their payments for them. Can you maybe tell us what exactly Checkout.com really does? Because, I mean, it's not like Revolut or something like a B2C. So if you think of any business today, whether that is like an online streaming service or an e-commerce provider or a food delivery business, all of them rely on getting payments from your bank accounts into theirs, whatever service or goods they're selling. We take care of that whole journey for them. So right from the moment that the customer enters 
either card details or perhaps some other kind of payment forms, all the way through to settling that transaction to the merchant. We've got some other products alongside that. We launched this year our payout product, which is a sort of either pay to card or pay into bank. And really our whole focus is on enabling that payments experience for our merchants and then for their end customers to be seamless and easy so you don't get those declines that you often see. You don't have that spinning wheel while you're waiting for your transaction to be approved. So that's what we think about every single day is how we can make that journey better for our merchants and for their customers. And can you just put into context the size and success that Checkout.com has had? Because it's one of the biggest fintechs in Europe and there's not that many that are the size of Checkout.com. Can you just talk about the size of that compared to other companies in the sector and just more broadly as well for people that haven't heard about Checkout.com? Yeah, sure. I think lots of people haven't heard about us. And I actually hadn't heard about Checkout until only six months or so before I joined them. And I think that is mainly because our customers are businesses. So the everyday consumer just won't have heard of us because we sit at the back. We're kind of the infrastructure, the piece of the transaction that nobody really sees. We are as I said earlier, growing very quickly though. And so headcount wise, we're sort of nearing the 1500 mark. We've got 19 offices now around the world and we serve merchants kind of across a range of sectors. Some that you may have heard of like Revolut, Coinbase, Grab, all the way through to much more, not traditional, but traditional-ish merchants who are kind of taking their first steps into the world of e-commerce and beginning to sell online. Merchants like Dior or H&M in the US and in other places around the world. So really that kind of all the way across the spectrum. And we process a huge amount of transactions every single day to make sure that that money is getting from those customers to where it needs to be. Are they mostly more from technical backgrounds or more from financial backgrounds? Or what kind of backgrounds do normally the students or the graduates or professionals have? A mix, really. Probably on average, I think you could say two thirds of our team at any one time is in that sort of research and development. So product, tech, actually kind of building products. We've also got a very big commercial team because a lot of what we do is is work really closely with merchants all the way through that sales cycle, helping them to understand payments, helping us to understand their needs so that we can design the right solutions for them. We're not a kind of like perfectly packaged off the shelf product that you just take and you get started with. Every single one of our merchants has different needs. And so our commercial teams work really closely with them to make sure that they're getting what they need. And then obviously marketing, people, all of those are set really essential functions that can help us to, to keep doing what we're doing. We actually, for the first time this year, have a graduate intake. Historically, we've just hired experienced professionals. And so really exciting that this year we've got, I think, 12 graduates joining us as part of our sort of pilot graduate scheme. And I think that it's a, we're only about a week in, so still to see the long-term success. But for me, that's just awesome. And I hope that we're going to continue to do that and build upon it because there's so many amazing people graduating with really great skills that we can then work with to introduce them to payments in the world of fintech and ultimately kind of help us grow as a business as well. Wow, thank you so much for the introduction to Checkout.com. Going back a bit about your background, you did a second master's degree in art business and you also wrote your thesis about blockchain and art. So two questions on that. Why did you decide to do a second master's degree and how it really developed your interest for blockchain and really these new technologies? 
So I guess if I take myself back to 2016, I had spent six or so years in the world of finance and had, I guess, plateaued a little bit, become a little bit less interested in the work that I was doing, felt that I had kind of was flattening that learning curve. And so I wanted to do something different. I was already really interested in blockchain, but from the cryptocurrency perspective, I had a couple of friends who were really early in the crypto space. And, and so, and I'd learned a lot from them. Also, and a completely other end of the spectrum, I was really interested in art. It's been like a really long-term passion of mine. I'm moving house, so you can't see it on the walls, but normally I've got pictures and things on the wall everywhere. And, and I have loads of friends who are artists. Kind of creativity is just, I think, part of my DNA. And so was also kind of thinking about doing something in the art world kind of hadn't figured it out yet. So the opportunity to go and spend some time really thinking and learning more about the art world was really attractive to me. But I kept having at the back of my mind this kind of like tech, blockchain, cryptocurrency stuff as well. And so I eventually just found this spot where they where they met, which was the impact of blockchain on the art world. And so I was researching it, spending a lot of time thinking about it, and ultimately was doing so much work. It made sense to do that as a master's degree, and that it allowed me the focus and a framework in which to really dive into that as a topic. Not many people had heard of blockchain at that time, or certainly in the context of the art world. So I had to persuade my tutors and my supervisors that this really was a sort of worthy topic for me to be spending a year researching but they were convinced albeit a little skeptical and so off I went and and spent a ton of time mostly with these like very small startups at the time who were just beginning to think about blockchain and crypto and art also with some artists who were beginning to explore like either the societal impact of blockchain and cryptocurrency or actually what the technology meant for an artist so even back in 2016 there were some artists people like Ed Fornielas who's based in London who were you know looking at cryptocurrency and art and all of these things melded into one and so that's really sort of how where it all came from and it was out of that research and that time that I ended up moving into the space more permanently and and ultimately kind of building codex as well. Going to NFTs, do you think these are like really the main use in art? Because especially like this year, NFTs, it's just boomed. So do you think it's the main use in art? Or are there also many other areas where you can apply art in finance or art in crypto or else? Yeah, so I, I think like the the definition of NFTs is still quite broad. And so Typically, when like the newspapers and the media talk about NFTs today, what they're talking about is pieces of art that are a non-fungible token. But ultimately, it's that would be the same as us talking about art as just canvases. So I kind of like to think about them sort of in equivalent ways. Like the NFT itself is part of a technology and you can do a ton of different things with it. One of the things you can do is have that represent or actually be a, a single work of art that can be traded and sold. And what an NFT is in kind of fundamental terms is also just something that can record information. And that information might be a piece of art, but it might be something else. So what we were building at Codex was the idea that the NFT, instead of actually being the piece of art, could contain information about the piece of art. Because we know that receipts and insurance documentation and, and all of these things often kind of get lost. And yet those are the things that can help us prove that a piece of artwork is, is authentic. 
plastic. And so that's another use case. I think there's tons, though. You can imagine that being helpful for insurance. You can imagine NFTs as being, and and this is something that we're already seeing, a way of collectively owning a single piece of art. So, you know, you might have shares in a piece of art. So there's a There's a whole range of use cases, I think, that this technology can apply to. I think that getting people to understand what NFTs are how they work. Having them just represent artworks is amazing. And I think that it's also been amazing for driving adoption of blockchain and crypto more broadly, because actually, you know, I think there's a great tweet that says maybe NFTs are kind of the Trojan horse because people can understand them and engage with them. And by kind of taking that first step in, maybe that's also how people can learn a bit more about what blockchain is and what crypto is and just helps people to get up that curve, I guess. And putting your day job hat back on again as chief of staff of checkout.com, I saw that you you recently done a, ran a webinar around NFTs and the intersection with e-commerce and the metaverse and so on. So where do you see e-commerce going with cryptocurrencies? Because at the moment you're processing you know monetary payments in dollars and sterling and euro and whatever else. As we move into cryptocurrencies, I suppose there's two questions there. What is that leap from normal cash and fiat money into cryptocurrencies from an e-commerce perspective? And secondly, where do you see payments overlapping into the metaverse as well? So much to unpack there. I think one of the places I'll start is like this idea that actually NFTs are kind of moving from a fringe thing that some people might own into something that actually more and more people are owning. Some of them are in the form of art, but other things are things like in-game assets. And in the webinar the other day that we hosted, we particularly talked about the idea of the metaverse and people spending time in the metaverse and what that meant in terms of ownership and objects that you might want to have in the same way that you buy a sneakers that kind of become part of your physical identity in the real world what do you own in in the metaverse how do brands interact and there's more and more luxury goods brands creating things that can exist in the metaverse and so i think that one of the reasons why we hosted the the webinar the other day is this idea that these are now so big and so so significant as part of general e-commerce that the line between whether you're buying something that's a digital thing or a physical thing is kind of blurred right now. It doesn't really matter whether you buy a canvas that sits on your wall or an NFT that sits in your digital wallet. They're still things that people own and collect. So for us as checkout, we serve all of those merchants, whether they're focused on the digital or the real world, and help them with payments. Because people, even though it might be an NFT, you don't just buy it with cryptocurrency, you can also buy it with fiat currency. And then the second part of your question, which was a little bit more around what does that mean for payments in terms of crypto? cryptocurrencies. We haven't yet seen huge demand from our merchants to be able to accept cryptocurrencies as a form of payment. I think there's still a little bit of friction in the user journey around getting hold of cryptocurrency, the volatility of the pricing, all of that stuff, which is about 10,000 times better than it was when I first started looking at cryptocurrency sort of seven, eight years ago. But it's still a long way from the ease with which, you know, you just pick up your mobile phone and use your Apple Pay to pay for something. We're not quite there with cryptocurrency yet. All the work that's going on around things like central bank digital currencies, stable coins, All of that, I think, is going to drive greater adoption over the long run. But I still think we're a little way off. And as Checkout.com, 
How do you view traditional financial service providers? Are they kind of friends or foes? Very much friends. And the reason is because financial services is it's just really complex and it's so segregated. There's loads of different providers who do lots of different things within the ecosystem. We are only able to operate as we do because we have great relationships with schemes and with other other partners. And ultimately, that's what we care about is delivering a great product and a great service to our merchants. I think also, if you just look at the fintech space, in that space, we work with tons of merchants. We work with Revolut, who you mentioned earlier, Helen, and a whole bunch of others, people like Wise. Because fintech is so broad that actually, you know, being able to specialize in a particular area and then partnering with people who are complementary to you, I think is just crucial to the success. It's impossible for any single person or business to build everything that people need. And so our view is that partnering with people and supporting the ecosystem as a whole is just is really important. So talking about broadness, if you take a look at your career and how you got to where you are now, you kind of went down a particular route because you went with the flow to a certain extent and there was opportunities there. But actually, when you found out that actually this isn't for me or it's not challenging me anymore, each time you've done that, you've taken the leap outside of your comfort zone, like you said. Can you talk about how your mindset and approach has helped you achieve what you've done in these in different industries and sectors? And I'm sure this is just the start of the journey for you. I think part of it is that I'm just naturally quite curious. Even as a child, I think I was that person who was like, okay, but why is that the case? Like I I wanted to get to the bottom of things. It was probably highly irritating to my teachers and my parents, but it's just this like natural curiosity and wanting to learn. And I think that that's been a really helpful skill because there's been many things that I've done, whether that's on the investment side or indeed in my job now, where I don't have tons of time to get up to speed. I also don't necessarily need to be the absolute expert in a specific thing. But I do need to be able to get up to speed quite quickly on a topic in order to then help me or somebody else make an informed decision about it. And so I think being able to absorb information, digest it and understand the meaning behind it has been a really valuable thing. I also think the other kind of main skill that has been consistent across everything that I've done so far has been the ability to work with different people. And it's something that I really enjoy. I enjoy conversations with our engineers just as much as I enjoy conversations with our marketing team and our finance team and kind of everybody across the business. Again, partly maybe that's because I'm naturally quite curious. And so I want to learn about what people do and how they're doing it and what they're finding difficult. But I think the combination of those two things has meant that I can just try and help people solve problems, which is whether that's talking about like an end consumer or a specific internal challenge that we might be facing. That's what I sort of get up and think about and want to do. And I think that just as core skill sets, that's something that I can apply anywhere. One of the things I love personally about my job as it is at the moment because of the rate of change of the business is that I'm yet to have a single day where I feel bored because the business that we are today feels very different even from the business that we were six months ago because of the growth, the new people, the new projects that we're doing. And so I'm feeling constantly challenged at the moment, which is great. 
Speaking on that, also a bit diving deeper into women in tech. I, for example, from my experience, I was really struggling to really get a foot into the door, like really getting into tech. Also because I studied marketing before, I'm also like quite naturally curious. So I wanted to try that out and that out. And I actually study technology management and I work in software now, but still I get offers and marketing jobs. Have you any advice for like female professionals like me or others who are like really struggling to get a foot into the door yeah look I think we definitely need more women in tech we need more gender non-binary people we need just so much more diversity and I think it's really important that we talk about it and it's really important and great to see companies starting to do things and so I think the first thing to do is look at programs and initiatives that specifically help people from underrepresented backgrounds access the industry. There's some great groups, people like Innovate Finance have programs especially to drive that and I think that if you're already struggling that's a great place to start. The other thing is I think just try and meet as many people as possible. That's for two reasons. One because By meeting people, you hear about jobs and you learn more about the industry. But number two, you also build confidence. And I think if I've observed anything, and this sounds a bit cliche, but I see it all the time, women tend to make sure that they can do every single thing on a job description before they'll apply for it. And so, whereas some other people don't, they'll happily see three or four things and go, yeah, I can do that, I'll apply. And so I think Spending time in the industry, building that confidence is just really helpful. And then when you see that you can do 70% of the job description, apply and go for it and have those conversations with people because it's very rare that people can do everything. And actually, you may have a really specific skill set that's really valuable to a business. So I think build up that confidence, spend time speaking to people, attend events if you can. I know that's difficult, but there's online events at least at the moment. And try and then find things that match your skill set to what's needed from a business. And that's ultimately how to start the journey going, I think. What do you think is it essential for the future? Do you think companies are doing enough, especially in terms of programs, in terms of diversity, in terms of really having the chance to improve your skills, to maybe learn something new? Do you think companies are doing enough or what do you think are the most important factors for the next five or ten years? I think people can always do more around diversity and that's us, but that's, I think, the whole industry. The fact that the conversation is happening, I think, is really important. At Checkout, we have learning and development budgets as well, which means that people can spend both time. We have two learning days a year and also funds to continue that learning journey. And I think that that's just a crucial way because the fintech industry is changing so much that you've got to challenge yourself you've got to try and stay on top of things to be able to keep up and to be able to continue to grow so it's great to see businesses doing more in that regard can they do even more yeah sure but that's probably always going to be the case i think could you just talk about the cliche person that works in tech or fintech is a someone who's wearing a hoodie is a developer has been you know coding in their bedroom for a long time that's often what people think about technology and also fintech and one of the things that we try and do with working fintech is break down that cliche you know for example i've had two fintech companies i'm not a coder number one is you don't need to be a coder to work in fintech and number two is breaking down that cliche of you know you need to be a man as well could you just talk about your experiences around that Yeah, I think you're right. That perception still 
does exist to some degree. I think in many ways that's why when I first started really working in the tech space, the fact that it was at the sort of art tech space maybe made it a little bit more of a diverse group than if I'd gone straight into fintech because I had all these amazingly creative artists from a whole ton of different backgrounds who were not technologists, but they were working with the technology. At Checkout, I think we're pretty well represented. We've got about 40% women across the board now. And, you know, I think... I can't overstate how within a fintech there is a role for everybody regardless of what you look like and what you do and and what your interests are. I've never played a computer game. At the weekends I like to spend time with my dogs, I like to go hiking. Maybe I'm not that typical person but equally at checkout we've got book clubs, we've got yoga clubs, we've got such a broad diverse range of people and we're really proud of that because we think that that's what helps us to create a great product because we've got so many different ideas that are going into every single thing that we do so it has a direct business impact and I think that's really important but I think that's why it's amazing things that you're doing like this podcast which highlight that not everybody who works in tech or fintech looks the same acts the same comes from the same background because that diversity as I said is just is super important that we continue to celebrate that if you look back at your journey or if you look back on the experiences you made is there anything where you really said that really helped me any advice from another person or from a former boss which really helped you to progress in your career I think the one thing that maybe I've done a bit more of as I've got a bit older is like embrace being challenged and I talked a little bit earlier about like feeling that I was kind of too much in my comfort zone and then searching for something new to take me out of it. And I really think that like development happens best when you feel a bit uncomfortable, when you're having to learn something new, maybe when you're in a situation that you've not been in before. And so I think continue to sort of challenge yourself and put yourself, put yourself out there, put yourself in those situations where you feel a little bit uncomfortable because you're not quite confident or you, you haven't been there before because that's how you'll learn and not much goes wrong. I think most people that I've ever come across and ever worked with want people to succeed. You know, they want to help, they want to help others and they want you to be successful. If you're working in a business where, the, where you're working around other people and they don't want you to be successful, you're in the wrong business because one of the most amazing things about being in a tech company is that you're all working to one cause, to one purpose and mission and check out that's empowering our merchants with their payments. So we're all on the same team. And so it's okay to be a little bit out of your comfort zone because there'll be people who help you along the way. And so I guess to shorten that answer, just be brave and, and know that most of the world wants you to succeed and will help you get there. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Jess. Some great advice there for anyone get, wanting to get into fintech and particularly females that want to get into fintech and technology. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Matthew. Thanks, Helen.